Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. So they'll be able to hear it. Oh my gosh, you guys are, are totally going to want to stick around all the way to the end on that. Because yesterday we got a whole bunch of crap from Bovida that we're going to be giving away. But it's also an extremely special episode. It is our first international episode of Cannabis Legalization News. Joining us today is Dr. Isaac Belbin from Parcel. Parcel, that's right. Hey, Tom, how are you going? Hey, how are you? So, uh, Australia. You know what we got to lead with then? How is you buying toilet paper down there? It's getting rationed. It's, um, whoa. Oh. So, look, we're, we're actually lucky here. Um, we have a local supply chain. So, I mean, I'm down in Melbourne. But, uh, you know, in the next state, in Adelaide, uh, there's a manufacturing facility. So, we're, we're going to be fine. How long have you guys been coping with it? Because... Uh, Miggy is in our, our kind of like our, yeah, our ground zero, you know, Seattle. I want to touch my face so bad. Oh, you haven't touched your face in weeks, huh? <laughs> yeah, how long have you guys been dealing with this issue? Yeah, so look, we, we were pretty early on in the piece. Um, you know, we had a lot of Chinese people coming back after Chinese New Year from uh, the region. Um, but it, it's only really the past week that... Uh, you know, the, the pandemic's almost caught up a little bit to the, to the panic. Um, and, you know, it just, it really illuminates how the fact that people don't really know how these supply chains work anymore just leads to all this panic buying and no one knows what's going to happen with the virus. They, they shut down the Formula One Grand Prix a couple of days ago. It's, uh, we canceled March Madness here in the States, as they call it. It's where all the high school, uh, college kids play basketball. Yeah. yeah, no, the, the loss of the NBA was a tough thing, felt even over this side of the ocean. <laughs> so you're telling us, though, like, I mean, not only is this the first international episode of Cannabis Legalization News, it's the first in the future episode. So it, we're sitting here in the past, the before times of the coronavirus, and you're in it. And so, like, how do you know anybody that's sick or is it uh, does it suck? Yeah. Um, thankfully, no, I don't, I know of people who know people. So, you know, I had a friend, there was a doctor who got it and I had a friend that used to do deliveries to his office. So she knew that doctor, um, luckily no one in my inner circle yet. Look, we're like the government came out yesterday. They said they're not shutting down schools yet. Um, 
you know, the, we shut down ours. I mean, like that's uh, our our governor said, all right, take the next two weeks off school. Everybody go home. Yeah, but kids are petri dishes, right? But mm. they didn't do it in Australia, and he's saying they're okay. Well, and I think it's just because Australia is a coastal country, right? I mean, your your population's mostly on the outside, whereas in the United States, like two weeks ago, people were coming from Italy. No, no screening. Like, what mm. the fuck? And they say it's right. like a three-week incubation period. Man, I tell you, what is this going to do, though, for Parcel? How can Parcel help the international supply chain of cannabis? Or does it? Well, I mean, look, you know, we're out there and, look, we're a supply chain platform. But what we're really about is empowering everyone through the supply chain to get a much better handle on what's going on using data that they know that they can trust. So, you know, for example, maybe everybody wouldn't flip out so much about toilet paper if they knew there's a factory with 100 million rolls, you know, just 25, 30 Ks away. Hmm. Um, it's look, a, supply. I'm sorry, I was going to ask you, you have an example of your tracker, Doc? Because I, I saw on the uh, your website, it, it takes both temp, humidity temperatures. I mean, it's a multi-informational little widget. Do you have an, uh, an example with you? Um, I have one of the tags. Uh, if you give me two seconds, I'll go grab it. Sweet. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hang on time. Here, I'll show you, I'll show the, uh, the, the, his website. Yeah. So if you can square share his screen, please do. Cause I was going to try to spell parcel, but there you go. Yeah. You already got it. So that's, uh, you can go to it. Uh, what is it? Parcel.com. How do they spell it? Yeah. Parcel P A R S not.com. Now you see one of the things when Dr. Isaac gets back that he'll explain to you is that he has a doctorate in, um, electrical engineering, which of course says everybody who went to college knows electrical engineering is that safety major. It's like electrical engineering, art history. You know, it's, it's I don't just think it's that level, it. man. There's some high intensity math involved in electrical engineering. <laughs> electrical engineering is is one of the crazier ones, but that's one of the reasons why. And yeah. I, I flunked out of that when I was four. <laughs> Listen, it's go ahead. It's electrical engineering is more pun, more fun than people realize once you get over the hard math. Right? Once you get over the hard math, yeah. Yeah, I'm below level. I'm just a technician. I just fix shit. So. Yeah. I fell asleep when I was 14 in algebra after lunch. And uh, and I woke up in like remedial gym uh, two semesters later. So uh, I've never taken a trigonometry class, for example. I have no idea about calculus. Never took it. Yeah. I'm just not cool. America's with finest education. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, is this something you created, Doc? Um, yeah, so look, when I was doing the PhD, I developed technology like this, you know, I had patented stuff and all these things like it, but in this business, it's really all about combining different bits of the best of modern technology, uh, but doing it in a way where everything's really easy to use. I mean, one of my great frustrations is like the whole thing about technology, why I got into it, it's supposed to make your life easier. But then people end up rolling out these products and systems where you need to have a PhD or be an engineer to be able to figure out how to use these things. And it's a little bit of like, what's the point, right? You know, we're, we're missing out on all the benefits. So, so check this out. This is a parcel smart tag. You know, okay. some of the magic that we use to make everything happen just looks like a normal sticker, but 
on the flip side, you can actually see. What is that? So most of that is an antenna. Okay. Right? Now, right next to my finger, it's going to be hard to see. There's a tiny, tiny little dot. I'm sorry, it's actually. It's yeah, you can kind of see it. You yeah. can kind of see it. Right. Right in the middle of so it. That, that's a chip, a little microchip, and we can encode that with data. So that's one of the ways that we're able to make the, the smart packaging that we roll out really, first of all, really smart. It's got a chip. Chip's got a brain. We can do things with that. But then above and beyond that, this is like laying out a bit of infrastructure because I can now connect this to sensors so I can pick up things like temperature, humidity, while a product is on consignment. Not only that, I can also, you know, we've got the Internet of Things coming out. Now, people may have heard that term and everyone's like, well, what the hell does it actually mean? And it means that we've got all these sensors out there that are collecting data and feeding them up to the internet for the most part um, to enrich the data so that we can understand what's going on. You know, how many of us get a delivery from, you know, the grocery store or we call it the supermarket? And then you wonder, like, how long has the milk been out for? Because, well, that makes a difference to how fresh it is. Um, and, and it's not just that, you know, we want to make sure that everything's been done in a legal way all the way back from the beginning. Now, I can, I can just say that that's the case and all you're left with is you either believe me or you don't. But what if I could prove it to you with data? And in a big way, that's what we'll do. That's fascinating. Now, are you only in the cannabis uh, supply chain? Uh, yes. How you know, is, we, we... Then my next question <laughs> is, uh, the first international episode of Cannabis Legalization News, and you have a sophisticated Internet of Things blockchain supply, uh, blockchain and supply chain management system uh, called uh, Parcel. How is the industry over in, uh, in Oceania, in uh, Australia, New Zealand? So, look, the industry in Australia is frustratingly slow to, to get up and going. We actually legalized medicinal cannabis in uh, 2016. They proposed the law in 2015. But unfortunately, it's taken quite a lot of time for the industry to sort of pick up and start moving to a, to a level where patients start to get help. Um, thankfully, in the last few months, they've approved more cases uh, for people to get medicinal cannabis than they had in the three years before that. But I mean, you need to understand, we don't have your dispensary model or something like that. You know, we've got a system that's being rolled out by doctors and pharmacists. Now, it's a very difficult process right now when you want to try and access medicinal cannabis in Australia. Your GP has to have tried every other option. Then he sends you to another Whoa. doctor. Oh, my God. Why are then you – but that's that's so silly. Why is it of last resort instead of first, first responder? It gets better. It gets better. Then all of, eventually, once you pass these hurdles, paid your money, you've gotten to this point where you then send all your information to a federal body called the TGA, and on a one-by-one -one basis – they make a decision case by case whether that person is able to access medicinal cannabis. And then the stuff that you get, you have no option. There's one thing. You don't know what it is. And most of the time it's been grown overseas. Man. Wow. wow. So your market is so new. Like, 
how many uh, grows are you implemented with over there at least? Well, it sounds like well, they got home grows. He said it all had to be imported, right? They're well, just starting. Well, people have had licenses for years, but it's impossible to know most of the time if they've actually got plants in the ground. Mm. I mean, supposedly there's 10 or 15 places, but again, because they haven't really opened the industry up properly, it's, it's a bit of craziness. You know, they've got to be out in the bush. You can't see anything for kilometers from the road and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We yeah. have uh, restrictions and setbacks, as we call them in zoning over here in Americas, but uh, they, they're usually about 1,500 feet. And like we have a stupid setback when it comes to like how close the cultivation uh, facilities can be placed in Illinois, 1,500 feet from one another. But, uh, you know, we are light years ahead of where you guys are. I mean, like, uh, we're, we're going to get close, I bet, in a couple more years in, a, in America to have like addiction being treated with cannabis. So when people are like they have whatever addiction that's really bad for their health, it's like, here you go, Bo. Just uh, this will kill you. you. Have as much of this as you want and you can use it as a substitute. Good to walk those other things back. But, you know, it doesn't sound like you guys are up and going that much at all. How about New Zealand? Do you know anything about them over there? So, look, New Zealand in some ways pushed ahead a little bit faster than us. Uh, you know, they had a, they're looking toward to go to a full recreational model probably earlier than what Australia is. Wow. But it's, uh, listen, governments being what they are, they legalized it and then they regulated it to the point no one can get it. You know, it was almost like they, they opened up the industry against their, um, what they really wanted to do. That's weird. Now, like New Jersey. Well, or like uh, like Arizona in 2000, yeah. in, well, before 2010, from 1997 through 2010, one of our states, uh, the people say, we want this. And so like in some of our states, the people are allowed to uh, do ballot initiatives and amend their constitution and say, we got this now. And then their legislature goes, fucking people. Well, it, uh, didn't Australia's capital just uh, decriminalize for uh, possession? Right. So, you know, well, how do I say this timely? Um, instead of looking at, at the experience of the United States and Canada and seeing some of the things that can go wrong, the government of Canberra, which is kind of like Washington, D.C. for you guys, right? Uh, like it's, it's not a state even. It's just a territory. And that's um, where all the, the government is, right? That's where the federal government is because Melbourne and Sydney couldn't, couldn't agree where, where it would be. But uh, they decided to take the worst of all the examples and then roll that out in, in the ACT. Um, Wait, so they, they, you guys have a cannabis culture in Australia. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's we, so we weird. Why do you have a cannabis culture and then like the, this weak sauce for a medical cannabis program? Well, because believe it or not, and people sort of don't come realize this, we're actually quite a conservative country out here. And so even we, though we elected Donald Trump for crying out loud <laughs> with Russia's help, you, of course, but, yeah. right? So look, we've we've got a cannabis culture. Listen, there's a place called uh, Nimbin um, yes. in northern New South Wales, and every year they have this festival called the Mardi Gras. Um, and the Mardi Gras uh, is obviously a celebration of cannabis culture. And it finishes up with everybody uh, in the parade sitting on the front lawn of the police station uh, smoking joints. So you guys do have kind of like John Sinclair or Hemp Fest uh, ask 
acts of civil disobedience where you are you're you're blowing smoke in law enforcement's face. Um, no, anybody get arrested? Are they are they ruining people's lives? No, it's all good. That's it's all good. good. They they manage it down there just fine. But uh, even though we've got that, it's still. You know, you kind of feel like we're waiting here in Australia for you guys over in the U.S. to federally uh, open it oh, up. Right. And once that happens, then we'll come to the party. Unfortunately, all too often, uh, that's how things seem to go. I mean, you know, it's like with the movies. You guys get them first, and then nine months after they've been released, <laughs> you get them down well, it's it's the exact opposite with the coronavirus test. We send one of our movie stars over there, and he's able to get a test over here. People are like, "I'd like to test and see if I uh, have this coronavirus." Sorry, you have to call this number, and they just they dial you around everybody in the hospital, and eventually you're you're right back where you came from. Even in the hospital, <laughs> but enough times the disease is incubated. No oh, gosh, it could be. Yeah. Who knows? I, I I work in the hot zone, and I had a fever last month, a high bad sickness, and yeah. I assumed it was a flu. Uh, but if the coronavirus is worse than what I had last month, I'm guaranteed to be dead. So no, I'm glad you did. I bet you had the coronavirus. And now you odds are in my favor, like, unfortunately. Like there's no test, so it's no. not like we can tell, you know. But but doc, can we uh, let's talk about your Bitcoin aspect of the uh, of the parcel because I know you're talking about blockchain and uh, blockchain. Of course, from what I know, is just for currency, right? Where uh, your computer mines, it wastes a lot of energy, it eats up the energy, and then that's what they're charging for. What well, do you we're guys... about to get some blockchain knowledge. Well, that's what I'm curious out. about. What are they considering blockchain for the uh, the protocol for what you guys are doing? So uh, what you're describing uh, is the Bitcoin blockchain, which is the most popular one. Uh, I would actually uh, come across and say blockchain is about so much more than just cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is kind of like, you know, text editor on Microsoft Windows, uh, uh, you know, where blockchain is, is the windows of that analogy. Where we're going to be able to, what the beautiful, what is blockchain? Blockchain is just the way to create a database and for us to set up a network where we all cooperate and nobody's in charge. Because for the most part, we need one person to be in charge when we set something up. And we're going to feed them all the info and they're going to feed back the info that they think everyone else should know. And that, you know, centralization, it works reasonably well a lot of the time. Unfortunately, it also has a lot of drawbacks. So one of the incredible things that we can do with blockchain is we have a technology that facilitates all of us working together and you don't have to trust anybody at all but you can know that the information that you're all reading off is correct. Yeah, because looking at your, uh, your 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 RFID tag, essentially, it acts like a relay, right? Where you're you're sending all the information to it and it switches back and forth, like with a temp and humidity. Is it receiving and then sends it to another server? Is that kind of how you're like not keeping all the information in one spot? Kind of. So <clears throat> rather than not keep the information all in one spot, we kind of break the information up. <clears throat> So it gets, it gets spread around uh, all these different places and the only people that can combine it back together to make some sense out of it are the people that should have access to that data. So, you know, you, for example, let's say, you know, you've got your cannabis farm, you're growing things. Now you want to be able to register your records 
in a way that everyone else can know that you did it at the proper time. This was the batch of 2020, you know, in April or whatever it is. And, you know, someone who's reading that information in August, September wants to know that that's when you put the information up onto the chain. And we can do that. And, you know, that's, that's somewhat easy, I guess. You know, everyone's heard of seed to sale before, or at least most of the people huge in, the in this industry. And so is that seed to sale software, and it sounds like blockchain is substantially larger than merely a digital ledger. It, it, how far can blockchain go? Can it be like a full-on relational database type stuff where you can store anything? Basically, yeah. I mean, I would, I would dare say that the limits of, of blockchain haven't fully been uncovered yet. I mean, look, the, the reason that I got into this whole thing, you know, I had a mate and he was making a lot of money off Bitcoin back in that 2017 gold rush period. Did you get one of them Lambos? <laughs> he did not go and get a Lambo. I, I, I taught English back in 2004 and five before I went to law school. And uh, when I was teaching English uh, in Korea, one of, a lot of my friends were from, um, uh, you know, New Zealand or from Australia. And so you keep in touch with them on Facebook over, over the years. And in 2017, when blockchain started exploding or whatever years it was that it just started, it just went straight up in value as opposed to like the opposite of Barron's magazine this past weekend. Um, it was ridiculous. And like he was talking about, you know, you have to dip your balls in this blockchain stuff. I do not work anymore. But then you saw the price of it. So like if the price went from like he bought it at a dollar or something and then it's twenty thousand dollars. Holy crap. The 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 return on that is is beyond obscene. Right. Yeah. And and it's really been fascinating to watch this whole Bitcoin thing, you know, come into action. But I'm one of those people where like I'm terrible at gambling. And I just yeah. looked at this thing and I'm like, it sounds like a scam. It feels like a scam. It looks like a scam. But let me and take a look at it. it was like that. Whenever you see the price action like that, you're just like, yeah, that's a scam. Just yeah. watch out, you know. Right. And I'm like, as soon as I buy that thing, that's when the curve's going to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. As soon um, as I get in. Because like, well, yeah, it got up to $20,000. I mean, it's, it's one thing, even like mentally, when you buy something, that's a buck. Oh, it's a dollar. Yeah, I'll take a hundred of them. You know, but it's it's twenty thousand dollars for one. Oh, I can't afford that. You know, right. Yeah. So rather than me looking at Bitcoin itself, I looked at the technology underneath it, uh, the blockchain, and there I fell in love with that thing because what happened you know, to blockchain just... though? Because there's like blockchain is rumor and myth, and all of a sudden in two thousand and eight. A technology that never fucking existed before suddenly was published in a paper, and then you're just like, blockchain. Well, what the hell is with like, who, who founded blockchain? How did it come about? Well, there's multi. Well, yeah, that's it's interesting hard. because the well, no one founded blockchain. In fact, uh, I worked with some people who worked with another person who said that he was having real negotiations with Bitcoin, uh, but. By so doing and saying out in public, he clearly showed himself out to not be an honest person yeah. because, you know, there is no such person. Um, but what kind of popularized what guy, with the guy's name? It's, it was a Japanese name. I don't speak Japanese, so I it's can't. A, it's an imaginary yeah, name. So, it's actually a group. Satoshi. Satoshi. Yeah. All right. So Satoshi, uh, he's a ghost. He's not real. 
Right. Some and if there's all these conspiracies around who he is, he's an Australian. Like people believe in the matrix, and they don't believe in vaccinations because, like, you're talking about something that has legitimate applications. Twelve years after it's founded, and you can't tell me who started it or who this guy is, and this guy's a myth. And then this is how people think that you know the matrix is just that you're just inserting code, and then suddenly all the new people are populating, and you're like, all right, well, we believe this now. There's also other right. forms of currency too now. I mean, Litecoin, uh, Bitcoin Cash, uh, Ethereum. Uh, you can go on. Even the the, the failed attempts like Potcoin, like that. Potcoin. Oh gosh, it was so big. Like you know, three years ago, every cannabis company they had a cannabis brand, and then they had a cryptocurrency. Yeah, right. And that. And <laughs> listen, I spent a long part at the start of my journey trying to just convince people that. I'm not. A, I'm not going out there to make a crypto. Uh, you know that's that's not my whole thing. Now we do use cryptocurrency in our ecosystem, but we're very careful to use it only for what it's absolutely required for. So, listen, if you're talking about an industry with really tight margins, with people that have got a long period between when they've got to put the money in to create something to when they're actually going to be able to sell it. You can't have them deal with the additional risk of a floating value cryptocurrency. Like that's crazy talk. Why, right. why do they need to do that? So we've got this concept that we call pods and pods are a stable value cryptocurrency. They are exactly like using American dollars, right? And they're backed by an equivalent number of American dollars in a bank account that people can verify. But the whole reason we do it We've got two big reasons. First of all, it's the easy one. You want to take cash out of this industry where possible. I mean, we're needlessly paying for security and cash transport, creating all these other logistical issues. So just taking that away is good, but it's not enough. So what we've done with Pod is the same way you've got seed to sale for products. We've created the equivalent concept for all of the associated financial activities. So, for example, we can go to the bank because, you know, we're not against banks. We want to work with them. Go to the bank and we can say, here is the proof and the evidence that this dollar, this specific dollar, never did anything illegal from the beginning of its journey into the cannabis ecosystem until it exits. And that's something that is tremendously unique because all of a sudden, if we have the financial industry playing nice with the cannabis industry, well, how much easier is it going to be for everybody? And then what if at the same time, regulators had access to that data at an appropriate time? So, right, first they of all, everyone... The finger thing means the taxes. Uh, yeah. Well, and I know because what I was going to say is, you know, in Nevada, they had this very famous case where the cannabis regulatory body didn't talk to the taxation department and you had a gap of $50 million dollars. Wow. Nobody Whoa. knew where it was. I, uh, it was lost on black. I uh, I bet on it. So well, what? Okay. You know, if we can, the, the same way that seed to sale tracks where every gram goes, so that we know nothing came from the black black market. We know nothing went into the black market. We can do the same thing for all the associated finance. We can cut money laundering out of the industry and actually make <laughs> cannabis the most legitimate industry in the world. You, you, you will literally 
cut money laundering out of the industry. But you will not technically cut money laundering out of the uh, the industry until uh, you take cannabis out of the Controlled Substances Act, because by law, that's how it's it operates. You know, if you are selling or if there's money that's moving, that's tied to the, the, the trafficking of that. It's by definition money laundering, whether or not it's not literally money laundering, which is hilarious. Yeah. Hey, Doc, right. the, uh, the blockchain technology you guys use to track and, and build everything, is that somehow uh, correlating to the the, the, the the coin that you're you're part of? The uh, what, what's the, the the coin again? So the main the coin that we've created that's out in the market it's called Seed. Um, you How know, do you spell that? S double E D. Okay, like Seed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's you know you, you can get it on this uh, the most popular exchange is called uh, Nudex uh, so N E W D E X but we've got two coins in our ecosystem and without getting super technical which is my cup of tea but not necessarily for everyone one of the coins that pods that's for trading so that no one's dealing with risk hmm. the other coin is used to verify transactions. So it can go up and down in value. Basically, the more people that are using the technology inside the ecosystem, the more valuable that, that coin will be. Because, I mean, you know, we're trying to build an ecosystem here where everybody's got a part to play. Now, speculators are part of an ecosystem, and it's okay that they have a part, uh, a part to play. Similarly, the way they do with stock markets, yeah. it's fine. So we need to give it to them right and give them a safe place to do it that doesn't affect how everyone else is running their business and then everyone can get the best of, of uh what's going on here yeah that's that's so strange though because like when you're talking about a market i mean we do have markets even in we have the forex market so you have markets and currency where we, people are literally buying and selling i mean it's how george soros made a lot of his money by devaluing the uh the british pound uh, and so it's in a sense that money has this practical application beyond its speculative nature. Uh, however, it just seems so interesting that blockchain can can do that as well in the sense that it's it's money. But then it, that money is able to have a lot more data than just the, uh, you know, the, the actual dollar that you have that can be just gone. You know, well, there's no. Well, is there? I'm assuming that the Federal Reserve, and I don't work there. Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't have any plans of working at the Federal Reserve. I find it interesting, but uh, <clears throat> that's only because I'm kind of a nerd. Yeah. And so, like, you know, th those people have to know how much money is in America, but I don't think they know to the the amount of granularity that you know, like in a blockchain or in some type of uh, blocked. Yeah. I'm sorry, Bitcoin and or another type of blockchain currency. Right. And that, and that's 100% true because they've got the ability to kind of do it manually. But even if they were counting those not those long numbers, the serial numbers printed on banknotes. So even if they did follow those, um, then it would still be very difficult for them to have up to the minute data of where all these things are and who all the people are that have touched them. Now, when we do that with a blockchain, we can get this incredible blend of security and transparency, but also privacy. And it's extraordinarily important that you've got both of those things working there, mm. because otherwise it's just not gonna work. 
You know, I hear sometimes people describe like Bitcoin as being like a heavy blockchain. That they say that it, it's heavier. That it's what does that mean when a blockchain's heavy? So a block think a blockchain. You know, is a big fancy database. So there's computing that's associated with it, and that computing uh, can either be going really fast, where I can process a large amount of data really quickly, or it can go slow where I'm going to struggle to process hardly any data. So the Bitcoin blockchain is kind of like your, your old dinosaur in, uh, in the blockchain world. You know, it's like we think of that the same way that you guys think of those big old mainframes that the CIA used to put out photos of back in the 60s. Yeah, and they, know, they, were, they had computers that had tapes and they were just on those wheels. What the heck was that? Hey, it was, that's better than the punch cards, man. Like, oh, that's all that electrical engineering stuff that you were doing. I mean, I can't believe how much electrical engineering has changed. Each like, Everybody, when they come in to the program, they're like, forget what you just learned. You know, <laughs> it's like, like garbage collection and like, you know, coding. That, that kind is gone now, uh, depending on what you're using. I mean, the, uh, and then when you're looking at coding, it's like, wow, you can read this. What do you mean you could read it? And then you, just, you go back in time, like Fortran was, and then that was only like 50 years ago. You know? Right. But, and it's interesting, actually, if we, you know, because the way technology is moving forward, even technical people have to become more and more and more specialized, you know, like a term like a theoretical physicist just isn't specific enough. You know, we need to know exactly what you're looking at. Is it, you know, fundamental particle theory? Is it, is it quantum? And, you know, what we're going to start to see is uh, a new generation of scientists come out that is less of a specialist into all these things and more about bringing the technologies together, you know, similarly to the way that we've got within cannabis, we will be able to create an entourage effect of different technologies. And that's kind of what we've tried to do with Parcel. I mean, you know, for example, I'm using quantum computing tech within the platform, but you know, if we don't have to, if it doesn't serve a purpose, like there's no point talking about it, but if people really want to know how we can make sure that everything is secure from the beginning all the way to the end, well, then quantum's part of that discussion. Hmm. I think it's uh, uh, blockchain technology currency. Uh, I, I use myself, I use Coinbase when I do want to fuck around with uh, buying and selling. Uh, just as sometimes you can make an extra $20, $30. But, um, you know, I think with your, uh, with the doctor, with your guys' blockchain, I always thought it was weird how uh, blockchains were substantial and worth something without a commodity. Right. With like, you know, with American dollar, you got markets, you got gold you at one time. Tax. You have the power to tax. Yeah. So I think with the, the docs, you know, the, the, the cannabis being a commodity, once it's sold, though, it, that blockchain still exists, though. Right. You know, the, the the person already smoked it done. Is that currency attached to something else then, or is that attached to currency rather? So, look, in the way that we've designed our ecosystem, we totally separate those things out. So imagine, let's not talk about the fight, the money side of it. Let's talk about, you know, someone that bought some flour and they want to smoke it, right? On the blockchain, once our, when our system's up and running, we will have tracked what seed it came from, what the grandfather's seed was, the conditions that it was grown in, you know, the temperature, the humidity, the UV radiation. We'll be able to track things about, like, who all the people are that touched it, how long it was dried for. Uh, how long it was packaged for, how long did it sit up on the shelf. Then when they transported it to get tested, 
Did they use five samples or did they use 25? And how accurate was the equipment? And which of the 450 relevant uh, chemicals that could be found within the plant are actually there? And you'll be able to get all of that in a very easy to digest way, right? So all of that data does get stored on the blockchain. But we would be crazy if we just took real information and stored it up like that. That's a massive security risk yeah. um, and a massive privacy risk. So what we do is we encrypt the information before it's stored in the blockchain. Now, you can see that- Which encryption? <laughs> well, you know, uh, thank you for tuning in again to Cannabis Legalization News, where we talk about encryption and other algorithms. And then we keep you tuned in by by promising to give you away uh, some Bovida stuff still coming up at the end. You know, we will definitely be giving away handfuls of that. But or uh, extra roll of toilet paper. No, or an extra roll yeah. of toilet paper. Very special. So, uh, what type of encryption do you use? Do you use an SSL certificate, or do you use something else? No, no, we use uh, two hundred and fifty-six bit encryption. So, you know, something that is supposed to be impossible to hack. But the reason that we do a lot of this hardcore stuff is to make sure that everyone's private information and a company's commercial secrets are protected. Now, at an appropriate point, we will give someone the ability to unlock it. So let's say you're driving down the street and you get pulled over by the cops and you've got an ounce of weed in the back of your car. It's, it's a Tuesday possible. night. That's totally, <laughs> totally happening. Yeah. It's possible you went to a dispensary and you bought that and it was all legit and everything was legit way back to the beginning. The problem we've got is how are the cops going to know that? How? Cops don't know the difference between hemp and and uh, cannabis. And this is a blend of both. So like this is this is a legal hemp and also some uh, legal medicine that I have the right to grow. And so uh, it, but the the police here are terrible. And it just is it's they're not as bad as it sounds like that they are in Australia. But they have no difference uh, uh, between hemp and also uh, THC cannabis. And they will ban either of them. The, the dogs will alert for both of them. But in Illinois, so, they can't prove either because the only way that they can show at the crime lab, it, they'll just detect mere presence of THC, not the levels to determine whether or not it's actually hemp or marijuana. Yeah. Right. So what if they had a way when they do pull you over to actually be able to verify that everything is legit here? And that's one of the really important things that we do with our platform. Now, so we give the police the special access to interrogate the blockchain in real time, get that data, but they can only get it when they're right up next to you. Hmm. Now, a lot of people, when I tell them that, they're like, hey, I don't want the cops to know all this stuff. That's not cool. Right. Unless they're going to arrest you for it. Yeah. Well, and I tell them, right, like yeah. your options are fairly limited at this point. Like, and I also let assure them that not only am I giving the police the ability to be very targeted in their investigation, right? Because they're throwing their hands up in the air with like, how do I deal with this? I'm also keeping a log of everything they do. So let's say you had bought it legitimately and you did use parcel. Well, and they didn't do any of these checks. Well, guess what the data you're going to use to sue them in court with is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the whole concept here. But then, uh, then the next thing is, you see, but the cops don't care about that either. What they're really preoccupied with now is how do I test you to see if I can arrest you 
for driving while under the influence. They're more concerned about that. It's like, yes, it was illegal when you bought it, but can I get you this way? You know, and, and they're, they're going to want to arrest you for something else. It's it's a culture of predatorship uh, against people that have this plant that's been just pervasive here for for 80 years. And, um, you know, it, we we exported it. So now you guys have it. It sucks. It's like the coronavirus. But like, I you, you, you you know, for liberty. Yeah. listen, listen, guys, come on, let's be real. You guys didn't invent all of this stuff. Have you ever seen videos of British police? A hundred years ago, they well, were not your most friendly. Uh, it was like you go back in the old pages, and I, I wonder if I have. No, I, I loaned it to my nephew, um, Jack Hare's book. You know, the emperor where emperor wears no clothes. And in that book, he does talk about the Irish doctor uh, O'Shaughnessy, who, when he was studying in India, like in the middle of the eighteen hundreds found uh, the, those cannabis tinctures and they started bringing them back to uh, all the colonies. And so, yeah, I mean, that it, why wouldn't you guys have it, right? Yeah. Listen, also, it's a, it's a common misconception that uh, within the United States that you guys are responsible for the international ban uh, against cannabis. Yeah, in like uh, 1960, right? I think is when the most recent treaty from the UN went out and it, and it kind of adopted uh the well if it was in 1960 it was before the controlled substances act so i would have to you know hire a a law clerk so, to well i can i can tell you what did you say so i'll play a game with you guys can you have a guess what was the first country in modern times to enact a prohibition against cannabis shit well i thought it was the united states but i'm assuming not well i'm gonna assume you not. guys were late for the party no, because ours wasn't until like 1915 or somewhere in there. Uh, I'm going to then say maybe it was Australia. No, although we did do it before you guys. Um, uh, South so Africa? Was it South Africa? No. Hmm. no, but you're getting closer. Oh, oh okay. What about India? Nope. Okay, because like I, I just figured we saw them using that stuff and then we would go like, you can't do that, you know, <laughs> just to ruin their day. Yeah. No, it was it was actually Egypt. Oh, Egypt! Not even on my Egypt. radar. Yeah. Wow, yeah. right? Which had been it, it had been conquered by Napoleon and his army. And what happens is they had all these hashish bars on the side of the road, and the French soldiers started going over to these hashish bars and not being as diligent in their fighting and dying that uh, <laughs> they were. Very happy oh, to that's where the rumor that it makes you a pacifist slacker came from. Yeah. Well, because okay. you just, then, you know. Okay. Yeah. And then it actually spreads around all these other countries before it comes to the U.S. So, you know, Russia, uh, England, Australia, um, you know, South Africa, many, many different countries around. Mexico even enacted a ban against cannabis before the United States Tax Act of the 30s. Yeah. Well, and we had great. to, like, steal Mexico's phrase for it just to get our racist, you know, ancestry <laughs> riled up to say, like, we got to stop them. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's another interesting one because, you know, Harry Ainslinger, who, without a doubt, was a very evil and racist man. Without a yeah. doubt. Without a doubt. But, <laughs> but it's wrong to say that cannabis was made illegal because of racism. No. no, cannabis was being made illegal because of corporate interests. But mm. this guy who was very racist was like, hey, here's a way that I can enable and empower my own racism. And he right. concocted everything around that. 
Well, that's oh, the whole thing, you know, because uh, we, oh, okay. we, we, well, we talk about the 13th Amendment on here all the time. And so it's the one that says no slavery unless you're a criminal. And so if you make all these criminals, hello, slavery again. Yeah. You know, on the Mexico side, a lot, you know, and again, I don't know the reason why they made a prohibition, but it's always been part of the Mexican culture. And Pancho Villa and his troops used to smoke before they go into battle. So, I mean, it could have been yeah. the government saying, you know what, we're a little scared of these guys who get a little high and come fight us. Because my grandfather, my great great grandfather, was actually a mercenary in Mexico and got banned from Mexico for being on the uh, Pancho Villa side for attempting to kill a governor. So, I mean, that country is always fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> as far as when it comes to policies, you know, uh, at least in America, we're always trying to help you, protect you. But it doesn't. Yeah, I'm from the. I, I'm, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, how is Parcel's sales cycle doing? How do you guys, or who are you working with, or how do you make the sales pitch? So you know, look, we're we're still a little bit under the radar because. Our whole approach to how we wanted to go into the market, like we didn't want to go out there and you know pay lobbyists to convince governments that everyone should use our system. No, that we want to. That happens though. That's like if I think of a seed to sale system, I know of two because they did that. There's Biotrack THC in Illinois, and there's Metric out on the West Coast. But then there's all these uh, various other software as a service companies that, but then they have to use their pipes. And so then you have this infighting because then it's like, hey, uh, I really like using this software as a service. Well, does it integrate with Biotrack THC? I don't know. And then you have to try to email Biotrack or the state. And it's like, hey, can we can we get access to your API so we can test your software? And then you just like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, and, and look, you know, traceability is definitely something that needs to be improved on uh, very significantly in the industry. It's causing a lot of pain. A lot of heartache and it's making a lot of people very angry um, so that's why even though what we're really about is empowering consumers empowering businesses and then empowering all the ancillary, ancillary services to do what they do best and deal with less BS um, you know we're going out there and we're trying to make everything as simple to use that my grandmother could do it. And her English is, is not so great. You know, it's, but you, it's all. Why, uh, why is your grandmother's English not so great? Because she wasn't born in an English speaking country. She came out of Eastern Europe. Well, that's amazing. Uh oh, man down. Yeah. <laughs> uh -oh. Am I the only one down? Am well, I up? You're, yeah. You're no, you're up, Miggy. We can see you. Now you're frozen. I'm going to have to get he rid of it. Wow. Okay, no, he's back. Yeah. He's back. It, it is our first international show. And so considering we are having a uh, conversation between the middle of a cornfield, Seattle, Washington, and, and where in Australia you're joining us from? From Melbourne, Australia. In Melbourne, Australia. I think we're doing pretty good, you know, considering. Yeah. That's pretty long. <laughs> but you Absolutely. Know, you know, with, like you were saying, Tom, though, with these all these uh, systems who are kind of like taking over, like only me can know this. Well, they get the know? state contract because the state needs uh, a standard. And so yeah. if they're like, hey, we have the standard. So write us into the law. I'm thinking about the Design Light Consortium right now, the DPLC. Yeah. Oh, it's two weeks. So we actually got an extra two weeks. And for the people that actually watched my program, fine. Uh, don't forget to make sure that you get your lights off of that list. Uh, and it's and it's cited in the statute. And so they don't just do it 
for uh, C2Sale uh, software as a service vendors, they do it for lights. It's also for and labs. For for labs that, lab. that, that 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 do the accreditation process. It's a bullshit fucking standard. You know, you can't have one company that does it all for a country. Right. And I and I think one of the things that's missing in there is we need to be looking further than just our own backyard because this is a global issue where there are patients all around the world and not one of them has more of a right to access medicinal cannabis than any other. And at the end of the day, okay, you know, the recreational cannabis industry is a good thing as well, but it's the medical side that no one around the world can really argue unless inside there are monsters. They're a monster. Completely prejudiced. Absolutely no personal knowledge. Because like we we uh, we do a lot of these shows uh, and and all over the country and now all over the world. But uh, everybody who gets into the medical thing, they almost you know it's like they've woken up from a dream uh, because they're like I used to be so against it, and then it it helps them or it helps someone they care about, and then they just totally change. And that's why we take it so seriously here because you know I'm glad that there's a cannabis culture in Australia. But until you have a, uh, a cannabis culture where you have testing and purity and quality control and standards so you can have access to the real goods, like the, the real good flower that you know what's in it and you know how it tested. And that's something that is so beneficial to the, pe the people that, you know, we'll be doing shows until all the laws are changed. And that might take decades. Yeah. Yeah. Doc, for the, uh, the metrics that you guys take for the, uh, the RF, the tag, um, do you have a, a checklist that you're trying to meet, like temp, humidity, uh, perhaps weight when things come through? Uh, is there a, a way to gauge like cure time and all the other stuff that's part of the process? So, look, we've made our system really flexible. So, you know, we've got a basic tag with no sensors on it, and then we just associate other metadata. So let's say if the tags are on plants in a greenhouse and you're measuring temperature inside that greenhouse using some other device, you can just associate that data with those plants and we'll timestamp that and collect it and collate it so that later, you know, next year when I want to go look at that information, it's presented in a way that actually means something to me. Because, you know, we have got to be also careful. Sometimes there's too much information and, you know, that, that just, that's as helpful as no information really, because oh, yeah. actually it's sometimes worse to make a wrong decision um if uh, if you're looking at the if uh inappropriate data sets so so we've got to make sure when we're doing this i think look for us one of the most important things is for end users to be able to understand the the cannabinoid the terpene the flavonoid and all the other chemicals in the plant they need to understand what's there they need to know why that's important and they need to have an idea whether that's going to be appropriate for them or not. And, you know, we've done that, I think, using all this crazy hardcore tech that we can sometimes talk about. But fundamentally, it's about making sure that the person who's making a decision to purchase, if it's for a medical reason, has got as good a chance as possible to get the right strain. You know, like one, everyone talks about strain matching, about getting, you know, matching a strain to a condition to a person. But I like to flip that things on its head and say, okay, I'm a person with a condition, where am I going to get that strain? And this seems to be one of the big missing uh, pieces in this whole thing where, you know, everyone's worried about the data that we report up to the government and what the taxes are on this thing. But 
what about those that are trying to do the best for sick kids or, you know, sick people everywhere? We want to help them and we want to help them as effectively as possible. You do the uh, the privatization part for the uh, the customer, the person that's growing, but the uh, consumer, do they have access to check out that? Was there a Q- QDR or something they can look at, scan and take some to have information? So some parts of that they absolutely can see. Other parts of it, it's maybe a little bit less okay for them to be able to see that. Look, I mean, if a grower is moving plants from room to room, for example, does an end user really need to be able to see that? You know, I would argue not. So, you know, also, again, like we're going to be capturing data on 500 plants in a batch. Now, if I just throw that at people, it's like, what use is it? You know what I mean? It's yeah. We're really careful that we don't overload people with info so that when they want to understand things, they end up at just the level of granularity for what they were trying to do. Awesome, man. Well, I, I want to thank you for coming on our show and, and uh, expanding us into the international. And now, uh, for what our people really wanted to co- uh, get, besides <laughs> all the wonderful information about how blockchain works and how it's applicable to the cannabis industry, uh, let's let's just we run this now. I think I know what my email address is, and so like if somebody wants, oh, that says wins a book. Now it's going to be Bovida. So like you can email me at tomstumari.co and Miggy, is that your email? Yeah, that's me. I got two big boxes. I got to ship shit out. We, we, they mailed us. 600 individually wrapped and you if you guys uh, do you do you keep your nuggets fresh in australia uh well when we source it uh legally we don't um we don't actually get nuggets um but uh, i can assure you that those that are getting nuggets keep them in uh very cool now, uh, they, they might no, want to check no, no, out no, no, this no, no, brand uh, on Amazon. You can get it. It's called Bovida and it's got uh, a relative humidity thing. It used to be very popular. And it still is with cigars. And then uh, we, we had them on the show a few weeks ago. And I guess a few years back as the legal industry was growing here, for some reason, they just started selling a lot more to a particular region in California and then they've expanded their product line now and they, they mailed us a whole bunch of them. So yeah, please do uh, email us over at Bovida and then join us on Wednesday. We're going to have uh, a California cannabis lawyer uh, on the show to talk to us all about what's going on in that state. And then uh, Dr. Dr. Isaac Belbin, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people get in touch with you and Parcel? Yeah, no, thank you very much, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure. So people can get in touch. Just jump on our website, parsl.co. There's a contact form there. Uh, Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, no problem. And uh, hopefully everybody out there has a good week. And we'll see you next week on 